If you would like to borrow a Bible, I'm going to raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible that you can follow along with us this morning. Today we're going to talk about money. Don't you love talking about money at church? And just in case you want to question our motives, as you know, we just preach through books of the Bible, so whatever comes up, comes up, and today it just so happens to be money, so it's not meant to get all your money, it's meant to, for you. The Word of God's going to speak straight to your heart as a warning and an encouragement. It's interesting when we talk about money, um, you may think, well, probably most of you think that it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with somebody else next to you or someone else, and, but surely Jesus is not speaking to you, but the reality is he is speaking straight to you, and he's speaking to me, he's speaking to all of us, and he's going to say hard things, I'm going to say hard things um, in line with Christ, and so let's just get ready for that, and I think it's important that we pray and ask God for a lot of things for this morning. Well, let's pray right now. Lord, some of us just woke up. Some of us are still not even awake, and we're here. And I just ask that you would wake us up physically, spiritually awaken us uh, more and more to the truth of your word. Maybe there's a lot of uh, things we need to hear right now, and we feel like that has nothing to do with money. And I just ask you to open our eyes that there's greater things going on here um, in your kingdom that impacts all areas of our life, including money. Jesus, please warn us today, encourage us today, and help us to actually receive those warnings, receive those encouragements. And, and if we need to make shifts, if we need to repent, if we need to receive forgiveness, we need to go to the cross, which we all do. I just ask that we would, we would do that as we approach the Lord's Supper today. May we approach broken and humble and, and seeking you as our greatest treasure. Show us that you are our treasure. Do something significant among us as a body today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, we're going through the book of Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6. Matthew 6, 19. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read this together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Cannot serve both God and money. You may be seated. Sermon on the Mount's talking about 
these radical kingdom norms of those who follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will display an exceeding righteousness. I know many of you have not been with us as we've gone through this. You've been in and out. And I'm going to use the phrase exceeding righteousness, and you don't know where that comes from. So look at chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who are believers have had this inside-out renovation of the heart that produces this exceeding righteousness of the religious leaders of the day. And we display this exceeding righteousness as we saw in chapter 5. You see the, the topics there of anger, reconciliation, of living a life of purity, faithfulness in marriage. We speak the truth and we love our enemies. We display this exceeding righteousness also in our spiritual disciplines, as we saw in chapter 6, not to please people, but to please our Father alone, and given to the needy, in praying, and in fasting. And as we come to this portion of chapter 6, we're going to see that this radical kingdom norm, this exceeding righteousness, is also expressed in the way we handle money. It's really simple where we're going today. Jesus is going to talk about two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. Those of us who have been transformed from the inside out will have this heart that is in line with the kingdom, in line with our Father, and will have this financial focus that is totally sold out to the kingdom. But the problem is, and we know what the problem is, the problem is, is that Money distracts us. Money derails us. Money gets our eyes off of Jesus. It gets our eyes off of kingdom priorities. And Jesus knows this. And so he speaks right to our hearts. Let's jump right in with two treasures. 619. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So valuables to us would be things like cars and jewelry and technological equipment. But to people back then, valuables were, were like expensive fabric and metals. And one of the problems that you have if you had expensive fabric and metals is that people want to steal your stuff. Thieves would dig through the walls. That's what they were made out of. You could dig through them, and they would steal their expensive fabrics, or they would steal their metals. And so what you would do if you had these things is you would hide them somewhere. Maybe you would put them in the ground, or you would hide them somewhere special so that no one would steal them. But no matter how good the security system of the day was, and you could hide them as well as you wanted, but the problem is you couldn't keep them from the moths. Eventually the moths would get the, the fabric, or eventually corrosion and rust would get the metals. And, and what's going on here is Jesus is saying, why would you want to take the most valuable things that you have on this earth, and why would you want to put them in a place where they can be stolen or destroyed? Why would you do that? It's not, it doesn't even make common sense that you would want to take the most valuable things that you have on this earth and put them somewhere where they will be lost. And yet, that is the destiny of all valuables, of all earthly treasures. They will for sure be lost in the sense that you 
will not be able to keep them forever. You came to this world empty-handed, totally naked, and when you depart, you will depart empty-handed. No matter what you accumulate during your life, I don't know what it will be, I don't know how cool and shiny it will be, you cannot take it with you. You will lose it. No matter how much you try to accumulate, you will for sure lose it. And what I'm really wanting you to see, and I think what Jesus is wanting us to see, is to grasp this now so that you do not spend your years in mindless accumulation or stuff. Or spend your years envying other people because you don't have the ability to accumulate as much as they do. No matter what, it's all going to be lost. We can't take it with us. Why would you want to put it in a place where it will for sure be lost? I have witnessed this. I have witnessed this gradual loss of earthly treasures, and it's staggering. And what I'm about to tell you is, is, is there's no, I find no humor in this. This is not funny. I, I have spent my 20s, for whatever reason, God put me in my 20s. Some of you in your 20s. He put me in the nursing home to hang out with my grandmother significant amounts of time. And in these nursing homes, two of them, I have witnessed the gradual loss of possessions by some of the residents bit by bit until there was nothing. What's where we're all going to end up with nothing. And this is the way it happened. Uh, many would enter the nursing home on uh, something called uh, an assisted living wing. I don't know if you know what that means. Uh, they're not under skilled nursing yet. Assistant living. So they come in on assisted living. They still can function pretty much uh, on their own. But at that point in their life, they've already given up their house. It may still exist, but they don't, they don't enjoy it anymore. It's gone. Their car's gone. No matter what car they drove, it's, they're not driving anymore. And at that point in their life, they're not even sleeping in their own bed. But that's okay. It's assisted living. They still have their clothes uh, for the women. They, they still have a wig, those who are, who are wearing them. And they have a TV and a wedding ring. That's what I observe. Now, as time goes on and the health starts to deteriorate, what you will find is those who are in the assisted living will move to the skilled nursing. And as you move from the assisted living to the skilled nursing, that means that your health has deteriorated. And at that time, the, the uh, care for the appearance kind of goes. And, and, the, and the wig is gone. The ring, the wedding ring, it's so sad to see, but it gets lost or stolen quickly. And, and then the TV is ignored. And the clothes, this is what I observe, especially my grandmother and others, the clothes are no longer their own. It's been mixed in with this community pile of clothes, and they're just putting them on, 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 on different residents. And I have seen this time, and I have seen believers face this time with so much joy. We can't wait to be with Jesus. Just lose, you just see the stuff, just, just lose. It's okay. They're ready to be with Christ, their treasure. And I've seen unbelievers face this time with despair, fear, and, and regret. And what I just want to shout, because this, this is my day in and day out existence through most of my 20s was seeing this every day. And I just want to speak to you who are, who are young you may not end up in a nursing home one day. I don't know how your life's going to play itself out, but 
why would you waste your time accumulating things that are just going to pass away? It is a waste of time. It distracts from the kingdom. It distracts from following Christ. So why would we want to spend our hours just trying to get as much as we can? It doesn't make sense because when it all plays out, you leave with nothing. But there's an alternative. Praise God, there is an alternative to storing up treasures on this earth. Verse 20 and 21. Praise you, Jesus, for the alternative. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be careful, those of you who are Americans. Those of you who are Americans, I know everybody's American and here you're from different parts of the world, but for those of you who are American, we've got to be careful, especially when you read this passage during your devotional time, you're reading through the Bible in a year, whatever you're doing, you come to passages like this, and um, if we're not careful, it's been said that we can, uh, we can always qualify these passages, we can spiritualize these passages, or we can dismiss these passages. And you know when you run across these passages, you know, th- these are like those passages where the widow comes and she puts all she has in, right? She gave everything to the Lord, like, what do you do with that passage? Or when Jesus tells the rich young ruler, you got to just give it all away. And we come to those passages and we're like, um, let's qualify that. Let's spiritualize that. And let's, and let's dismiss that. And we'll say stuff like, it's the heart that matters. Or I'm already given 10%. Or I've got to take care of my family. I mean, let's just stop that. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus can even talk to us. Because we're like, well, but I'm the exception here to this rule. We always put up these exceptions and defenses. Let's stop that. Just, just this morning, let's just listen to what he has to say. He's going to speak to us here. He says, don't put these treasures on this earth, but, but put your valuables in heaven. Because if you put your valuables and your treasures in heaven, they won't be lost. That's a great idea. I like that. But how, how do you do that? Like, what does that mean? Is there some bank? It's a place I can deposit these. Like, how's that possible? How's that work? Tell me what to do. Well, I think it has something to do with, uh, for starters, it has something to do with giving to the needy because if you see in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, thus when you give to the needy, he's assuming that we're going to give to the needy, and there's another part in the Bible that makes a connection between treasures in heaven and sharing with those in need. Let me put it up for you. This is a great one. This is a good one. First Timothy. 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich, let's stop right there. As for the rich, that would be most of you, okay? Compared to the world standards, you know this. You're rich, all right? Most of you. I know you're a student, so what? The school costs 50 grand a year, okay? You're rich, all right? You're rich. As for the rich, all of you in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. As you can see from this passage, there is nothing wrong here with being rich, obviously. There's nothing wrong here, as it says, 
God provides, as you see it in verse 17, with everything to enjoy. So it's okay to enjoy the blessings of God. I'm, 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 don't feel guilty. You can enjoy the blessings he's given you. But those who are blessed are to seek to give generously to others. So as our hearts are focused on the kingdom, we will put our money there. And part of putting our money there is being generous. Being generous, and part of that is, is serving and helping the needy. And, and, and look at your passage again in chapter 6, passage again. Look what it says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you've always heard the term that your money follows your heart. But here Jesus is saying our hearts follow our money. <laughs> don't you like that? So you may come up to me and say, Pastor, I, I don't have a heart for the poor. I, I don't have a heart for missions. Or I don't have a heart for church planning. And what I would say to you is put your money there and watch your heart follow. It's amazing how that works. Don't just wait to say, I've got to get a heart first. No, put your money there and your heart will follow. There's some connection. I, I don't know how it works, but that's what happens. I, I can sort of see how it works. Like, let's just say you bought uh, some stock in Apple, right? So you buy some Apple stock. Uh, Mac, computers, you tracking with me? All right, so you buy the stock and you want to check it every day to see how it's doing. You want to see what's the latest news. And you're really hoping that the iPad 2 does something great because you want your stock to go up. Why? Because you put your money there and so your heart follows. And the same will hold true as we put our money into kingdom endeavors of helping the suffering, put him in, we're sending out missionaries around the world. Our interest will go there and our heart will also follow. But if there is no heaven... None of this makes sense. If there is no future, if there's no renewal in the new kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth, if none of that is real, then none of this sacrifice, none of this giving to the kingdom makes sense. It, it, it really doesn't. It's, it's, it's way too... It just doesn't make sense. Especially as you talk to people who do not follow Jesus, you talk about what you do with your money if they ask. It doesn't make sense unless there is really Jesus, the King, and a kingdom of heaven. And, and as we give, you know and I know that we're not giving our money to try to get into heaven. Let's just say that now. We're not doing that. We have been saved through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We put our faith in him. We're forgiven. Now we have this kingdom focus, and now we get to give. And because we know there is a future, we give. We store up treasures in heaven where our true treasure Christ is. I spoke to one of our missionaries this week having a really difficult time. And he said to me, he was really encouraging to me, even though he was the one going through the hard time. He, he said to me, if there is no heaven, this makes no sense what I'm doing. It makes no sense to press ahead and proclaim in the gospel if there is no heaven. And I would say the same is true for us. If there is no heaven, if there is no Christ, if there is no king, it makes no sense in putting our treasures there. Like if you're, you're a student, and some of you students are going to go away this summer on some type of uh, something for the summer project, right? You want to tell others about Jesus 
and you want to go and maybe you want to serve justice issues and bring the gospel and you're coming to, to old people in here, right? And you're asking the old people in here to give you money so that you can go on your project. It would make no sense for an old person like me to give you money if there is no heaven. It makes... I don't... I don't want to just go so you can go hang out on some beach and tell someone about Jesus. I don't care unless there really is a king in heaven and there's a future. So as you're raising support, you've got to talk about the future. You've got to talk about people who are going to meet God one day and they're going to be judged. You see how these kingdom financial focus matters because there is a king, there is a kingdom, there is a future. Without that, let's just put as much treasure here on this earth and live it up, and we're just going to die. But we know there's a future. So that's the two treasures. Two treasures. Look at the two eyes. This one's a little bit more difficult to understand. Look at the two eyes, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What's this talking about? Got this healthy eye imagery here. And if the eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. And what's that, what's that talking about? I, I think it's talking about a combination of two things. It's talking about having this, this generous life. And it's also ch- talking about this singleness of kingdom focus. So those who are focused on the kingdom, that there's a future, there's a king who is reigning now, that we will have this and display this life of generosity. Now, the, here's the flip side in verse 23. Look at that one. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So the bad eye is the greedy eye, is the stingy eye, and basically just shows that if you're greedy and stingy, your whole body will be full of, of darkness, and the darkness will be massive. So here, here, here's some ways to think about this, this healthy eye and this bad eye. You're going to focus on what consumes you. And what you focus on will consume you. So if you're focused on treasures in heaven, you'll be consumed with what's going on with the king and his reign. If you're focused on things of this earth, you'll be consumed with what's going on with things of this earth, and then the darkness will consume you. Here's another way to think about it in the generosity sense. I like this one. If you see a need, see somebody in need, and you move toward it, your whole body will be full of light. I like to think of it, you'll just be like on fire. You'll just be consumed. You see a need, you want to move right toward it, you're going to be like on fire and consumed. But if you see a need with your eye and you close your eye, your body will be full of darkness as you turn away from that need and move on with your own selfish desires. Now, of course, we want to be people that are, that are like on fire, right? We see this need and we're like on fire. We're going to do something to meet that need. And we don't want to be those who are closed off to the, the, those who need the gospel of Jesus and the needs of this world. So I want to bring a need to you that I've talked about 50 billion times. And I feel like I can do it again um, without a conflict of interest. And, and I want to talk about it specifically. I've not talked about this uh, with this specific topic um, on this issue. So there are, there are 163 million orphans in the world. That's a lot of, 
of orphans. And there is a need for those who are called to, to care for orphans in need, and those who, are, who have that desire also can move toward adoption. And I just want to say that uh, adoption is not for everyone, and adoption is not cheap. And for those of you who choose to move toward adoption, you'll need some others to come along probably and help you pull that off. Now, there are some uh, ways that you can adopt and care for orphans through the foster care system that are, that are significantly cheaper. <clears throat> but when we talk about generally domestic adoption or international adoption, some of you, uh, people always ask, how much does it cost? So I'm just going to tell you. On the cheap end of things internationally, I doubt you can ever do an international adoption less than $30,000. Probably can't do it. And it goes up from there to 30 to 40 to 50. If more, 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 right? It's very expensive. I don't want to get into all the details why, but it's expensive to pull it off. And you'll need people to come along and, and, and assist you. So I've got to tell you the story. So I was in Ethiopia back in December. And we, we were hanging out with a lot of different families, and we met this family from Champaign, Illinois. And this family had four kids. They had three bio, and they had one they adopted. And they were back in Ethiopia, and while they were there, check this out, four kids, right? They were there to adopt three. Let me show you a picture of their family. Yikes. They've been home for like two weeks now. <laughs> Wonder how it is in their house, right? <laughs> and, and I was having lunch with them. And I was sitting next to the husband, and I'm just nosy. I, I said, he, I was just kind of fishing for his life, like, what's going on with your life? Like, like, I was just wanting to know how you can do this. Like, your wife doesn't work, and I know the job you have, and I know how much adoption costs. And basically I said, dude, how did you pay for this? And I just asked him. And he, he, he humbly said, you know, we did... We did some fundraisers, and I'm thinking, yeah, I know you can do fundraisers, but fundraisers only have an extent. You can't fundraise $50,000, $60,000. And, and he said, this is what he said, we took out loans. Now, how many of you think that's crazy? I mean, we, we so quickly will take out a loan to add on to our house. We'll quickly take out a loan, right, to buy the car. We'll quickly take out a loan to go to school. But when we see a need, would you take out a loan for a need? You think that's crazy, right? But I see that as someone who is on fire, sees the need, gets crazy creative, is going to do whatever it takes to meet the need. That is the single eye, the generous eye. And I, I would also say, like, for example, you've been watching on the news, on the Internet, this whole tsunami thing, what's going on in Japan with the quake. And, and maybe you don't know what to do right now, but may you just be so consumed. You go, wow, there is a need that people need the gospel. People need help. I don't know how I'm going to do anything. I don't know how I'm going to fix it. I don't know how I can be involved in that. But there is a need, and you just want to be consumed on fire, our whole body's full of light, and we're going to move toward that need. Two treasures. Two eyes. And now let's go to two masters. This one's good. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
So the connection Jesus is making here is between, obviously, God is master or money is master. And I like what he's saying here. He's saying you're going to be a slave no matter what. The issue is what you'll be a slave to. You can't serve two of them. You can only serve one master. And if you think, I I know as as Christians, I try to do it myself, we think that we can serve both. Like, I'll, I'll be the one person in the world to pull it off. I'll serve God, and I'll also serve money. And it, that, that's what you call the two masters disaster. The two masters disaster. Because what, what you do, if you say, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to serve money, before long, you're going to realize that God and the master money have competing demands. Because money, if it's your master, wants you to spend it on yourself and your own selfish desires and your own greed. And Jesus wants you to use your money for his kingdom purposes. And so before long, you'll see there is a, there's a collision there. It's a two-master disaster. And we want to get to a point where we are devoted to God alone and not to money. In fact, we want to hate money in the sense as a master. We want to hate the master of money. We want to despise the master of money and be devoted to God alone. And once again, I'm telling you, if you try to serve both God and money, you will not be able to pull it off. Jesus is very adamant. At the very end of verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God and money. You're either serving one or the other. There's something that happened in my life that, that I've told you before, and it, it's where God let me experience this two masters disaster. Maybe you've experienced it before. Maybe you've done things with money in your life where you have actually experienced the two masters disaster and you would agree you can't pull it off. My wife and I were were newly married. Uh, This is back in in 97. We were married a long time ago. We were married in, in 97 and we moved from Texas to my first church in Los Angeles. And when we were in Los Angeles, we're, you know, we're newly married. It's, it's interesting, when you're newly married, sometimes you just do stuff you wouldn't necessarily do when you were single, like sometimes spend a lot of money. I don't know what, what happens there, but we were at this ski show, uh, the Los Angeles uh, ski show, snow skiing, and we got there, and we're just minding our own business. And I don't know, led by me and my impulse, we bought a lot of stuff. We bought a lot of snow gear and skis and boots. And, I mean, I don't want to tell you how much I spent. It's embarrassing. So we put all this gear, and we, we left, and we scheduled our, our ski trip mini vacation up at Big Bear Mountain. Have you ever been there? You can actually ski in the Los Angeles area. So we go up to Big Bear. First time down the mountain. First time down. I'm like, honey, let's go down this blue-black slope. All right? Just the first time down. It's been a while. <laughs> so, so we're going down this blue-black slope, and and. You know, you come down halfway down the mountain, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm doing my thing, you know. I make it down halfway, right? And she's stuck. She's stuck. My bride is stuck. <laughs> she's up there crying. I'm like, oh, I got to go rescue her. So I, I kick off my skis, and I start climbing. Boom, boom, climbing up, up the blue-black slope. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm climbing up, and I just about reach her, and then I slip. And it's steep, and I'm flying down the mountain. And I'm, I'm headed right for this tree. I'm headed for all these skiers. She's crying, and I think I'm dying. I mean, I'm heading down, and I, 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 I just missed the tree, and I miss others. And I tell you what, I didn't die. But since then, I've never skied again, ever. 
scared me to death. I, I don't even want to put them on again. I don't even want to see nothing with skiing. And, and, and the way I interpret that is like, oh, God, what was I doing? I was doing this two masters disaster. I was doing this treasure where I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to put everything in here, and, and God, let me experience that. And what I think what happens as we have money and we have disposal money, most of you do, you're going to have this choice between God as your master and money as your master come up frequently. And we're going to have these daily choices where we're going to say, okay, I'm going to bow to the master of money or I'm going to use money as an ends to obviously care for my needs, the needs of my family. And part of that is giving glory to God and everything that I do and also storing up treasures in heaven. So it's going to happen in large choices and small choices. For those of you who are about to graduate, you are going to have different opportunities, different job opportunities, different opportunities, what you want to do with your life. And as you get these opportunities, I want to ask you, how will you determine the options? How will you, even for those of you who get other job offers and you get offers to move, how do you determine the offers that are the best? How do you judge between the opportunities? Is it simply always going to be a money thing? Like if one company is going to pay you 10000 more, will it always be follow the money? Or will you actually consider, Lord, where do you want me? Where can I be most effective for your kingdom? And you may take less money to go somewhere else where there, there's not as much money. Because I, I've seen and you've seen people move around in life to follow the money and they're not always happier. And there's regrets that they, they moved on and they weren't used as much because they were following fall the money and got distracted and had a big mess. So don't, don't always follow the money. Those are big decisions. And I know some of you have those decisions like right now you're making those decisions. Don't always make it about the money. But we're also going to have these small decisions that we make every day where we determine whether God is our master or our money is our master. And we'll see these in, in conflict at times. One of the problems that I face, maybe you, you don't face it, but is that sometimes we have been conditioned to just mindlessly spend money wherever our impulses take us, even on daily things. R Randy Alcorn, he, he is an author who's helped me the most to understand what we're supposed to do with money from the Word of God. Uh, he's written a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. In fact, that treasure principle book, we gave out a treasure principle book last fall, about 70 of them. And they were all gone, so I assume that all 70 of you who took those books read them. Don't be smiling at me. <laughs> you better go read that book. <laughs> well, anyway, he, he says in there, every, he wants us to examine every purchase in light of its ministry potential. Examine every purchase in light of its ministry potential. So he's trying to get us to quit making spending decisions just off the cuff. So he says if you buy one thing, you don't just gain something, you also lose something else that could have been spent, uh, bought with that money. For example, like you can go out and you can drop 20 bucks uh, with you and your friend on a, on a great lunch, but that's 20 bucks that is lost that could be used to care for the poor. We can drop uh, 250 on a tech upgrade but that's 250 that's lost that could be used for s sending out the gospel to the nations. 
Now, just hearing that makes you feel guilty, like, oh, I can't go to lunch today. But it's not, it's not the point. The point is not to make you feel guilty about what you're buying or not buying. The point is to get you to think. Think about what you're doing with your money. Just pause. Just stop before you spend. Like, pause and think, okay, is this what I need to be spending this on? Think about it. It's not about, it's not about guilt. It's, it's making you stop and think about what you're doing with your money. And, and you sometimes wonder, well, how in the world can I decide? How do I know whether I should go to lunch today and spend money? How do I know whether I should buy these clothes? How do I know? And there's so many needs in the world. How can I determine? There's so many missionaries in our church. Who do we give to? I mean, you, you start going crazy. You're like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I think what you do is you pull back and you say, okay, God's given me these resources. He's given me his word that speaks truth to me. He's put his Holy Spirit in me. He's shown me his kingdom agenda, and I have a conscience. And I have a, I'm part of a body of Christ, things that I can run, things by you. And with all those things in place, under the grace of God, we make spending decisions that we're all accountable to God for. You may choose to spend it differently than I do. I may choose differently than you do. But we're all accountable to God with these parameters that we have. But we want to have our eyes on the king on the kingdom, about storing up treasures in heaven under the reign of our master as we serve him alone. This is a great text. I mean, it's easy to follow two treasures, two eyes, two masters. Inside out renovation of the heart it enables us to store up treasures in heaven as we submit to him. One of the things we've been talking about with this past year is something called our, our ethos at our church. And one of the concepts related to our ethos or part of our ethos is something that we call invested sojourners. That's one of my favorite ethos statements because the idea is that we are just passing through this earth. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship there. Our eyes are on Jesus. But as we pass through this earth, we make investments. We make investments with our time we make investments with our energy. We make investments as we care for other people. But we also make investments with our money. We invest, this is so cool, as we invest in the needs, the care of the poor, uh, justice, uh, endeavors, as we invest in churches and planting churches, as we invest, what is so cool, as we invest here in Kingdom Purposes, Jesus tells us that we're actually storing up treasures in heaven. This is awesome. So as we're moving through life and we hear that 10,000 Christians have just been displaced in Africa due to persecution, we hear that an earthquake tsunami has just devastated a lot of people who need the gospel. We hear that someone on our street does not have food. We hear that there are millions lost without the gospel. As we're passing through, we say to ourselves, well, you know what? This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And so we're going to invest here. Kingdom purpose is here. And as we invest here, it's actually being invested in heaven. Invested sojourners. Able passing through using all that we have. All of our energies, all of our money for kingdom purposes. I, th I think that's awesome. And what's even more awesome is that we have the freedom and the ability and the power and the right thinking to now invest in kingdom purposes. You know how we talked a few weeks back about um, lust and 
pornography and immorality and how people with, uh, with even in here can be in bondage to these things. And there's freedom in the cross to break free and freedom to live a life of purity and holiness and serving the Lord. Well, the same holds true here with, with money. There are people in here who are in bondage to, to money. You might not even be a spender. You might be a saver and still be in bondage to money, where money is your Lord. But the good news is, is that through Jesus, you can, be, you can be free from that bondage to money being your Lord. It doesn't have to use you. You can start using money for kingdom purposes. You can be free through his life and his death and his resurrection from this bondage and this grip you have that maybe this all-consuming worry that you have about finances or you just, you just spend it so quickly or you just, it just consumes you on a daily basis. You can be free from all that through repentance and faith in Christ. And just like you would want to tell others that you're struggling with, with lust or you're struggling with other things, what you should do is you should go to your ethos community tonight or this week and, and tell someone close to you and say, look, i got issues with money. Uh, maybe you just spend it too much or maybe you save and you freak out if you spend anything. I mean, just, it's just all-consuming. And start sharing with your brothers and sisters your struggles with this master of money and, and maybe they can encourage you and pray with you and, and help you work through these issues so that you can know that you're free and the life, death, and resurrection, you're free to now invest in the kingdom. And what's so awesome, we're, we're about to take the Lord's Supper here. And, and as we take the Lord's Supper, we'll see that our, our greed has been put on Jesus on the cross. Our stinginess, our, our desire to continue to hoard down here is put on Jesus on the cross. And we are now forgiven, and we can break free and serve him and his kingdom purposes. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that we can be free. We can be free to serve you, our only master. And Lord, if there needs to be real repentance and confession today or the way we have been in bondage to money, I just ask that you would, you would reveal that to us and you would break us free so that we can be free to, to move out, to care for people, like really care for them to be so on fire, our bodies full of light, wanting to care for people. And as we do, we know that you are our greatest treasure. We're putting our treasures in heaven as you are our greatest treasure. And during this communion time, I just ask that it would be a special time, Lord, a special time of freedom, of forgiveness, of seeing you as our treasure. You're the one who loves us. Do a significant work. Continue to do a significant work as we proclaim your, your, your life and your death and resurrection until you come again. In Christ's name, amen.